Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place. We always say it. We always mean it because this is where the best run. Let's take a look at the quote of the day. I have the buzz. It's a quote from Irene Rosenfeld, CEO and Chairman of Mondelez International, formerly Kraft Foods. And let's see what she has to say. Quote, our emerging workforce is not interested in command and control leadership. They don't want to do things because I said so. They want to do things because they want to do them, unquote. Well, that's interesting. Sounds like there's something going on in the workforce, and we're going to be exploring that topic with my panelists. But let me give you a little more background on our topic. And by the way, this is part two of a show we did just a few months ago on May 16th, 2018. If you're checking the date today is Wednesday, October 24th of 2018. So what are we talking about? Businesses today, the smart businesses, are drawing on multiple talent sources. It's not just the people sitting at a desk in front of you, full-time desk-bound workers. You have contingent workers. You have SOW-based consultants. You may have freelancers. You probably have a few contractors. You probably have some people in the gig economy calling themselves gig workers. Why are you doing this? You want to get work done in new ways. And this this basically new shape, new flavor of workforce is helping you do that. Many business leaders, in fact, are viewing these external workers as a critical part of their total workforce. So what's going on with this new employment model? Well, it's a new reality. If you're just getting into it, you're probably aware that it's not same old, same old, definitely not status quo. And that goes back to the quote from Irene Rosenfeld. It requires you to develop strategies. You have to shape new talent. You have to create a culture in your company, whether they're internal or external employees. The culture will help you reimagine, enable, and motivate the coming workforce. We're calling that the total workforce of tomorrow. So the question on the table is, are you ready? And the title of this episode, part two, is Total Workforce Management, The Good, the bad and the possible. And I'm going to give a little disclaimer because we may use the word legal because it will be in reference to some of the ways you deal with the external part of your workforce. But please know we are not giving legal advice. That's not what we do here on Coffee Break with Game Changers. So let me tell you who our three panelists are, and then we'll get started with our opening quotes. Welcoming back in just a moment, Nicholas Whittall, W-H-I-T-T-A-L-L. He is Managing Director within Accenture Strategy Talent and Organization. Joining him, also returning, is Dr. Autumn Krauss. She is a principal, or the principal scientist in the human capital management research team at SAP Success Factors. And rounding out the panel is a newcomer. He is Mark Shaw, senior strategic consultant at SAP Fieldglass, and he is stepping in for Jim Brosny, who was unable to join us for part two, and we're very happy to have Mark join the panel. So let's see what Nicholas Whittall has sent us this time. A quote from General Creighton William a- Williams Abrams, Jr., 1914 to 1974, he was young when he passed away. U.S. Army General, commanded military operations in the Vietnam War from 1968 to 72. Chief of Staff of the U.S. Army from 72 until his death in 74. Here's the quote. 
I think it will be familiar to a lot of people. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Nicholas Whittall, welcome back, and how have you been? Thank you, Bonnie. I've been uh, very well, thank you indeed. Uh, a, a quick disclaimer. The, yes. the literal quote um, that General Creighton Adams provided was, when eating an elephant, take one bite at a time. But I thought as I read that quote, the more familiar one is the one you just read there. And yes. I felt that his quote had a very strong premise associated with it that we all eat elephants all the time. And so um, that's certainly not true in my life. Um, I'm sure it's not true in any of your listeners either. But I thought this was an applicable quote uh, for where we are in this workforce conversation. And I think there are a lot of complexities, a lot of challenges that certainly the clients that I interact with on a daily, weekly basis are facing. And I think it's, at times it almost feels overwhelming the, the, the breadth of the challenge. And I think uh, a, a strategy or an approach to possibly take is rooted in this advice and the quote, which is one step at a time, one bite at a time to tackle this uh, massive challenge that we face. Thank you very much. Very interesting way of looking at it. And let's just take a step back, Nicholas, please. Does this mean the implication that external workforce, bringing them in, and I mentioned several types of external workers, is it basically as big as, quote unquote, an elephant, a metaphor for a very big challenge or a very big beast, shall we say? Do you think that it is that big for, let's say, a mid-sized company or definitely for what I call the big behemoth entrepreneurs? How big is this challenge? I, I think it is as big as that, if not bigger, Bonnie, for the mm. following reason. Um, over the last, um, over the next decade, let me rather say, the, the 14 G20 countries that we recently surveyed from an Accenture perspective could miss out on as much as 11.5 trillion of cumulative growth promised by intelligent technologies if they can't meet the future skills demand of their workforce. So when you think about the future skills of a workforce that exists today in many organizations and how to reskill them for the future we're emerging into, and then you overlay onto that the fact that we're facing into a 3.7% unemployment rate in the U.S., you know, down to 0.2% uh, since the last time we spoke, there is a, a challenge in acquiring the talent we need. And so the shift is going to focus strongly toward what I like to call new skilling the workforce um, to the future of work that's coming. And that equation is not simple and straightforward. It's going to require a very different leadership mindset as we face into the future here. Thank you very much. Thanks for the good background on this, Nicholas. Really appreciate your coming back to join me. And now let's circle a little bit around the table to another returning panelist, Dr. Autumn Krauss at SAP Success Factors. And she has brought us a an interesting quote from Winston Churchill. Autumn, we get so many Churchill quotes. I didn't check this one because it maybe I did. It sounded so different that I was willing to say, yeah, it was probably Churchill. Like Einstein, they're often quotes are attributed to these great leaders of the past. And uh, I, I just think this one was really cool. Anybody who doesn't know who Churchill is, seriously, Sir Winston Leonard Spencer hyphen Churchill, British politician, army officer, writer, prime minister of the UK from 1940 to 45 and 51 to 55. He led Britain to victory in the Second World War. Big movie, The Darkest Hour, was a couple months ago. I think it was last this past summer about him. Uh, he was a little controversial. The movie certainly doesn't shy away from that, but very interesting profile. And they made him very human through the interaction with his wife in the movie and uh, the people who work for him. Here's the quote. 
Out of intense complexity, intense simplicities emerge. Dr. Autumn Krauss, how have you been? I've been very well, Bonnie. Thanks so much for having me back. I'm excited we to are be del- here and spend time with Nicholas yeah. and also um, connect with Mark as well. So I, I picked this quote for a second round, and I think it definitely validates and extends what Nicholas was saying, the complexities of the situation. But I'm hoping for a light at the end of the tunnel with respect to the simplicity side of it. Um, since we had last chatted, our team at Success Factors and Human Capital Management Research Team has launched a large research program in collaboration with SHRM of the Society of Human Resource Management. And we're now studying this topic with a great level of detail, this idea of the external workforce and what their key challenges are. And as we've continued to do surveys, and I've been doing a lot of interviews and focus groups, it's just become so complex. Uh, You've rattled off the different types of external workers, and so that's part of the puzzle that's complex, is all these different types being lumped together for um, being discussed in a common way. Uh, but beyond that, there's also just so much confusion and complexity on the part of the employer. And I know we're going to dig into some of that today. So big themes emerging. And when, I, when Churchill says intense complexities, it is intense to watch employers really struggling and confused by the legal context, by different types of technologies and how they should use them to manage the external workforce. So I'm excited to dig into these topics as supplement to our last chat. And I am hoping that through our research program and the work that Accenture and others are doing, uh, we'll be able to see those simplicities emerge at the end. Because the goal really is to provide, I think, better evidence-based guidance and tools to the business community about how they can do this in a way that's not just going to meet their own needs, but also that of the workers and society. Thank you very much, Autumn. Um, apparently, we lost Mark Shaw. We're trying to dial him back. I know he's out of the country today, so we're trying to get him back. So let's just talk a little bit more about this until we get him, and, and if not, we'll just continue with you and Nicholas. I know we'll get him back. Autumn, question. When Let's say a company says, okay, we have we have a, a good workforce, but we need, let's say there's somebody in another on another continent, and they're available to consult. You check them out, and they're available, and they've got a consulting rate card or whatever, or they're stealable. Who would say borrowable, okay? And you contact that person, you bring them on board. The complexities, the intense complexities, are employers, companies, aware of the complexities before they start bringing in the external workforce? Is there, does a red alert go up? Does a sign on the wall beep on the CEO's desk and say, beware, beware, external workforce, legal implications, watch out, cross-country payment implications, and rules and regulations of other other places around the world? How aware are they that there will be an these complexities? Well, I think that they aren't aware, but some are, Mm -hmm. and that's the biggest issue. One of the key findings that we've seen so far, and I'm really curious to hear what others' perspectives today is, but we're seeing emerging that there's so many different stakeholders involved in this external worker management. So you've got HR involved to some degree, but usually they're more focused on the permanent workforce. You have procurement involved, and they're really responsible for often sourcing that person and getting them through the administrative aspects of managing their work and and closing out their contracts. Um, And then you've also got an executive team or operational leaders that are saying, we need this person, we need these capabilities, we don't have internally, to Nicholas's point. Um, So all these different stakeholders, we've identified them, but the key theme emerging so far is that the collaboration amongst them is very low, 
and um, largely focused on the tactical execution of getting them on board to deliver the work to be uh, appropriately signed off and, and closed, rather than thinking about them as an asset that perhaps finding we might want to re-engage at a later point. So how can we mm-hmm. make this a good experience that they want to come back around to work with us again, uh, for instance? So, um, And then additionally, as you're raising the legal concerns, is what is the implication of them being overseas, um, but also how do we treat them similarly or differently to our permanent workforce? And I, I know we'll drive mm-hmm. into that a bit more in a moment as well. But um, So I would say some people are aware, but they aren't necessarily talking to the other folks that perhaps would be actually overseeing the work, would be responsible for um, determining what access to systems they get. So, yeah, the, the confusion lies in uh, many different stakeholders and not a shared agreement on roles, responsibilities, and how we work best together uh, to manage that worker to the best capabilities of themselves and the business. Thank you, Autumn. Great perspective and good news. Mark Shaw is back. And Mark, you're up next. So we were we were doing a little bit of a deep dive with Autumn, waiting for you to reconnect. Mark has sent us a quote from Babylon 5. I had no idea. I've heard of it, but it's not, not, my, my, not in my wheelhouse, shall we say. Babylon 5 is an American space opera TV series. I have to say it that way. Created by writer and producer J. Michael Straczynski under the Babylonian Productions label, blah, blah, blah. After the success airing of a test pilot movie in 1993, Babylon 5 The Gathering. In May 1993, Warner Brothers commissioned the series for production as part of its primetime entertainment network. Okay, and it ran for five seasons. Here is the quote. You're going to have to really explain this one to us, Mark. The quote, Understanding is a three-edged sword. Your side, their side, and the truth. Thank you, Mark Shaw. How are you? Welcome. (laughs) I'm very well, thank you. How are you today? I'm fine. I hope I did a decent dramatic reading of the quote for you. Are you pleased? You going to hire me? <clears throat> you, you did a sensational job. <laughs> oh, you're, you're very, very kind. Tell me about this quote, and I understand that this was stated by Bruce Boxleitner in the show. G- give us a little background on it, so I don't, I don't know anything about it, and then tell us how the quote applies to our topic, please. Um, so, uh, obviously, a little bit of my personality. I am a bit of a, a sci-fi fan. Um, I am just a bit of a dreamer and futurist and sci-fi is kind of one of my pleasures to do on my off-cycle times. Um, this quote has stuck with me for years, however. Like, mm. um, and the way that he delivers it is like, understanding is a three-edged sword, your side, their side, and the truth. And then he goes on and says, you know, the truth is we don't need you anymore, blah, 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 blah. But it's always stuck with me through the years because the the situation that it's in, um, and Straczynski does a great job of writing this entire uh, entire show, and it's all set up with essentially two like parent figure civilizations that are like at war with each other for ages. They're trying to get everybody else to be on their side or on the other side, and when you apply this to kind of just general life and today and the way people interact with things and when you get periods of change it's really relevant because the truth is the future of work we're all going to have this conversation and we're going to be hypothesizing and you have analyst firms and research firms making predictions for the future and you know what that may or may not be the truth and Mm -hmm. what all the predictions are may or may not come true we all have our opinions, other people have their opinions, and only time's going to really tell what happens and what falls out and what 
did happen in you know 2020 or 2025, whatever year mm-hmm. we're going to pick for. Um, some people might be more accurate than others, but we're at a really critical kind of period of change at the moment, and understanding that we all have our different views and they might be partially right, they might be partially wrong, and only time's really going to tell, I think can let people approach this with an open mindset to really listen and try to understand where other people are coming from, knowing that we are talking about the future and we are talking about disruptive technologies and business practices and whatnot. And you know what? Not everybody's going to have the right answer. And that's okay. Interesting perspective. Mark, when I read the quote, I'm thinking that's something that you would, you would probably see at a crime scene or you would see that in any, any, uh, witness storytelling. Somebody would say, well, this is what I saw and the other person in the other car, the bite is what I saw. And then the forensic scientist or the police person or whoever, maybe the HR person would say, nah. Not quite. There's a truth that's a combination, but a different shade of what they saw. Isn't this a good mantra for life, Mark? Um, I certainly try to do it. Some days are easier than others. <laughs> I understand. Um, and by the way, it's it's like I think it goes to the phrase "walk a mile in someone's shoes" before you before you criticize them or before you don't understand their perspective. By the way, I have a note from my. Uh, my engineer, Aaron, he says he wants to know what character said it. He's guessing Commander Sinclair. Aaron is a big fan of Babylon 5. Was it Sinclair who said the quote? Uh, good, Matt. It was actually John J. Sheridan, uh, so the commander from the later series, uh, played by Bruce Boxleitner, from anybody who is a sci-fi fan. Okay, so Aaron. My books. He said, Aaron says that was his second guess. See, this is a live interactive show. There you go. He he says, or Kosh. Okay, very good. Mark, that was a great quote. Let's go circle around the table back to Nicholas Whittall. Nicholas is waiting patiently, I know, to tell us the three things we want to know about you. Nicholas, number one, where in the world are you today? Number two, what's your favorite drink in the whole wide world? This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, but we don't just talk about coffee. And number three, update us on what you do at Accenture Strategy Talent and Organization. Great. Thank you, Barney. So I am speaking to you from New Brunswick um, in the U.S., on the east coast of the U.S. here. Um, my favorite coffee, my, my favorite drink, actually, I am going to harken back to a coffee. Okay. Um, given that it's fall, my, my favorite after-dinner aperitif would be a decaf latte with a shot of Amarula, harkening back to my South African roots. Um, it's just enough to, uh, to get a bit of that caffeine um, or that, that coffee taste at least, but the Amarula just does a great job of rounding it out. Okay, I have and to give I a little... I want to I want to yes. give a little definition here because I've never heard of it. A M A R U L A Amarula is a cream liqueur yeah. from South Africa made with sugar. Oh, my favorite cream! I'm I'm loving this. And the fruit of the African marula tree, which is also locally called the elephant tree. Whoa, whoa wow! That goes with your quote. How do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? <laughs> which That's, I didn't actually plan, but uh, I that, that didn't is, think so. Or the marriage tree. Well, that's even more provocative. It has an alcohol content of seventeen percent by volume. Now you can continue. Go ahead, tell me more, Nicholas. Well, and if you wanted to, to um, get a kick, you could Google uh, drunk elephants, and during the time where the Amarula fruit ripens, elephants will feed on that 
um, prolifically, and they'll actually get drunk from the overripe fruit. And so it is um, a fairly uh, potent formula, apparently. Uh, what I do within Accenture, I lead our future workforce practice globally um, for Accenture. And so I spend my days um, advising our clients on how to really build the workforce of the future, how to rethink and reimagine the future of work, reimagine the future workforce that's going to perform that, and in many cases, reimagine the future operating model and functional um, structures that need to support that going forward. Thank you. And I have to tell you, the Drunk Elephant has its own website, but it's a skincare line made with virgin marula oil. <laughs> Did you know that, Nicholas? I did not. It's very popular. It's sold at Sephora and Amazon and all over the place as an official site. And their mantra is reset your skin. So very, very interesting. Part of cult beauty also. Very, very interesting. Serums, cleansers. Well, we're not a beauty show, so we'll leave that alone. Nicholas, thank you very much. Pleasure to have you back. And thank you for the smiles. Dr. Autumn Krauss, around the table to you. And number one, where in the world are you today? Number two, what's your favorite drink? Let's see how provocative you can be. There's no contest here. And number three, update us on what you're doing at SAP Success Factors. Thanks, Bonnie. So um, I'm calling in from Evergreen, Colorado today. Um, And actually, there's a bit of a story there because uh, from the last time we talked, I think what was in my cup, I started talking about mountain breweries and mountain distilleries. I was living in Denver at the time, and I don't know if that was subconscious or what happened, but two months later, I moved to the mountains. Um, mm. So now I'm living in my new mountain home, um, <gasps> which is great, lovely, and looking out at the elk as we speak that time Ooh. of year. Um, so, uh, and so as far as what's in my cup now, now I, I feel like I just need to, living in Evergreen and supporting the local mountain lifestyle, um, I'm, co- I'm still consistently on the uh, local mountain breweries. And um, particularly in our neighborhood, there's got a lot of home brews happening. So the neighbors have been welcoming us with their different versions of homebrews with different labels that have picture elk and different mountain birds. And so we are officially part of the mountain community up here and um, appreciating that very much. So that's what's in my cup right now is all of the local um, lovely community members and their homebrews that are happening at the moment. Um, And then beyond that, I am still in the same role. So part of the human capital management research team, Uh, we're a team of psychologists of various specialties and our responsibility is to be able to, translate what's happening in the research of psychology of work, uh, do customer research as well, and be able to use that to inform our product and strategy within SuccessFactors. So how can we build the technology with the end user and the the worker in mind, and also to be able to help our customers use the technology in a more transformative strategic way. So for things like culture change and employee engagement. So it's a nice blend of being a scientist, but also a practitioner. Thank you, Autumn. And and you mentioned culture. Let's just for a second, before I I go to Mark and where he is and what his role is, question. This is really all about culture, isn't it? Bringing in an external workforce. I I remember back in the day when I was a a mainframe programmer, Autumn, on the West Coast in Oregon, and I came back to New York to get a job, and I was told I could become a consultant, and I would be on the beach when I wasn't working, and I would be part of uh, moving from company to company wherever they found a place for me. But I was told you will never belong 
You will never be part of this team. You will be somebody who visits for three weeks, six weeks, six months, doing your job and then moving on. There was a, there was a culture aspect to it that I was informed about. I never did that. I went right into another full-time job. But the point was I was told that as an external, you won't be part of that bigger we, that bigger unit. And any thoughts about that? Is that something that the workforce is struggling with today? Just a quick quick answer. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that, um, well, there's a couple things there. From a psychology perspective, I'm really glad that someone gave you that advice because that's mm-hmm. what we call realistic job preview. They basically yeah. sat you down and said, here's your choices and here's the reality of what you'll face. Um, and I think that's helpful. People can jump in without knowing that, maybe not make best choices for them. Um, and there's this other concept called person job fit, which is basically if you have certain interests and attitudes, motives, then certain types of jobs and working arrangements are going to be better for you. Um, so there might be some people that would be more inclined towards that type of work than others. I think um, what we are finding, though, and there was a recent Gallup uh, research report that was just put out, is that those external workers are identifying less with teams, are feeling less part of the organization. And, I mean, it doesn't take a psychologist to know that that's going to impact their motivation, their ability to go above and beyond, et cetera. So, um, yeah, it, uh, it is all about culture and what's that right balance. They are external, so by definition, they are separate, um, but we also want all the goodness that having them internal would bring. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And now let's go around the table to Mark Shaw, a newcomer to the panel. And Mark, please give a, a hello to Jim Brosny, your your colleague who couldn't make it today. We're very pleased that he introduced you. We are loving your Babylon 5 quote, by the way, still. And Mark, where are you in the world today? I know we called you somewhere with a, with a plus sign in front of the phone number. And what do you love to drink? And what is your role at SAP Field Glass? Uh, So I'm calling in from Brisbane, Australia today, uh, which, funnily enough, speaking to the other panelists offline in prep for the call, all three of us have been to Brisbane at one stage, so quite Mm. a small world, uh, which is awesome. Um, My favorite drink, I'm a really, really simple uh, person, my favorite drink in the world, so I'm not a morning person by any stretch of the imagination, <laughs> and my favorite drink, the best drink in, in, on the face of the planet, is a double espresso, really strong, first thing in the morning, before I'm required to speak to anybody. Mm. <laughs> and uh, coffee for me, is, <laughs> I mean, it is a really kind of cliched uh, thing to say. It is one of my favorite things, but it's also like Australia, for anybody who's been here, has a massive coffee culture. Um, really? Coffee down here is not Starbucks. It is not run in, grab a coffee, and run off. Um, nine times out of ten, it's like go out, sit down with a friend, have a coffee, have a chat, catch up, do all these kind of social things. Revolves quite heavily around coffee. Um, so that that for me is like the, the smell for it. Like it has to be a really good, strong coffee. Mm. Not apologies for the Americans. It has to be an espresso, not filter. <laughs> no apologies needed. Everything that just hurts me up in the morning. And what do you in do? Terms of, in terms of jobs, sir, I am a senior strategic consultant with SAP Fieldglass. Um, and I'm going to link it back to something that Autumn said when I redialed back in earlier on. Uh, a big part of my job, like the large percentage of my job, um, so I spend a lot of time direct on the front line with our customers, um, 
And I feel like I'm just introducing them to other parts of their business. Hey, procurement, this is HR. If you guys work together, do you know the awesome stuff that you can actually get from an outcomes perspective when you're looking at your external workforce? Um, <laughs> that's really my role in a nutshell is a bit of the art of the possible for a lot of our customers because um, the external workforce down here and how to use it and the outcomes that you can get and how you manage these people that are coming into your organization mm-hmm. and the team culture that you build um, is not as mature down here in kind of Asia Pacific and Japan region as it is in the other parts of the world. Uh, so we spend a lot of time educating our customers down here, getting them to come to grips with what does it really mean to have like a supply chain, you know, kind of part of your procurement organization that is, you know, bringing people in and how do you manage them and how do you apply quality frameworks and how do you use that to get better business outcomes? A lot of our customers just don't know down here. Um, so that's, that's my role is I help our customers really, yes, we're going to have the technology and we've got other teams to handle that. Mm-hmm. My role is really to come in, what's the pain you're feeling? Okay, who do we have in the room? What is possible? What have other companies done? What do we consider like best in class and what's right for you? And mapping out like sometimes it's like a three to five journey, a three to five year journey for them to come from well, we have contractors and we have a problem to, okay, this is how we are going to integrate the external workforce into our business. This is how we're going to engage them. This is how we're going to manage them. This is how we're going to use them. Thank you very much, Mark. We have so much to talk to you about, as well as with your co-panelists, Dr. Autumn Krauss and Nicholas Whittle. We're going to take a quick break, just about 90 seconds, just take a, a pause that refreshes, and we're going to come back and do a deep dive. I'm very appreciative to my three panelists for bringing so much good information already into the first half of the show. If you're just tuning in, this is Coffee Break with Game Changers Radio, little show I started for SAP back on October 5th, 2011. Yes, we just celebrated unofficially our seventh year anniversary this is episode number 345. I'm probably the only one keeping track of that number. And the title of today's episode is Total Workforce Management. And think of total workforce as not just all the people who ever worked for you, but all the people in different flavors and styles and places and cultures who ever or are going to be working for your company. The good, the bad, and the possible. Again, a disclaimer, we're not giving any legal or cultural advice. We're just sharing the expertise of our three panelists, Nicholas Whittall at Accenture, Dr. Autumn Krauss at SAP Success Factors, and Mark Shaw at SAP Fieldglass. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. I promise we'll be right back, and you don't want to miss the rest of this really interesting conversation. Aaron out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com business news and discussions are always changing in order to stay ahead of the game sometimes you need to be a follower you can follow the voice america business channel on twitter at voice am business again that's at voice am business and stay current we're making it easier to listen to the voice america talk radio network wherever you go In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all of our show archives on demand, all from your iOS, Amazon Kindle, or Android device. Download it from the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Yes, indeed, we're back, and we're talking about a very important topic. Those of you who run a company, whether you're a manager, an owner, a C-suite person at any level, total workforce management is something that is either a part of your life, your work life now, or it's going to be total workforce means the workforce isn't just the people sitting at a desk in front of you. At some point in time, as you grow, you're going to want to look at the external workforce. This could be consultants, freelancer. Freelancers, gig workers, uh, SOW people, agreement people, people who are there for a couple of weeks, a couple of months from anywhere in the world. How do you manage them? How do you integrate them? How do you get the best of that influx of new talent? How do you get everybody to work well together? What we used to call playing nicely in the sandbox. What a thought. So officially our topic is total workforce management, the good, the bad, and the possible with my special panel, Nicholas Whittle at Accenture, Dr. Autumn Krauss at SAP, Success Factors, and Mark Shaw at SAP Fieldglass. We've been talking around the table for a half hour already or more, but we're going to officially start the roundtable right now. And here is what Nicholas Whittall at Accenture told me before the show. He'll talk for about two minutes on this topic. Then we'll see what Dr. Autumn Krauss has to say and Mark Shaw. So here we go. Nicholas says, while 54% of employers acknowledge that getting human-machine collaboration right is critical to achieving their goals, and 84% of employees say they expect digital to transform their work in the next three years. Here's the kicker. Only 3% of executives plan to significantly increase investment in skills development programs in the next three years. A lot of numbers in there. Nicholas, tell us more, please. Yeah, Bonnie, I think that this is, um, as we think of the, the future workforce and building on some of the conversation you were having with Autumn earlier, I think we're moving into this notion of the boundaryless workforce where mm. we have uh, freelancers emerging into the workforce. We've got your full-time employees 
I think a, a, an emerging pool that is starting to hit the scene very in a very realistic way is uh, intelligent technologies and the role that they're going to play in, in the workforce. And so I think by and large what we're seeing is a sense that this is our personal belief within Accenture is a, going to have a net positive effect on the workforce. But I think what it's going to require is a very strong focus by organizations on reskilling their workers and their workforce. I think it's a very almost simplistic view to assume that intelligent technologies will simply eliminate some jobs and create some new ones on the other end of the spectrum. I think what we're seeing, however, is that the biggest effect will be on this reconfiguration of positions as tasks really evolve and the workers' um, competencies start to, uh, start to build to, to deal with intelligent technologies. And so this concept of uh, emerging technologies playing a role in the workforce, I think, is going to be critical. And the focus of uh, employers on really looking further out than what they have possibly to date is going to be critical in order to ensure that they prepare their workers for the future that's coming. Thank you very much. Good view to the future, and the future may be here right this second for a lot of companies. Dr. Autumn Krauss, love to get your thoughts on the numbers that, that Nicholas just shared with us. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. And Nicholas, I really appreciate you sharing this, and I found these really interesting. And I think your point, um, well, the one I really want to emphasize is the executives um, at this stage, lack of planning to do that exact skill development that he talked about. So what I would say, and this is, a, a, it's more of a question, and I've been wondering this, and I don't, I don't know the answer, and perhaps others can jump in, but when we sit, we know that companies are using external workers to fill these skill gaps and to find these advanced skills um, because they aren't doing a lot of that internal development and skill building right now. Um, but if we, before external workers would have perhaps had careers where they developed these skills and uh, technical skills per se, and then they would have gone out on their own once they had already established themselves, similar to what you were talking about earlier with your personal development, Bonnie. So mm-hmm. what I'm wondering, though, is that as these advanced technical skills are needed, um, if we have companies that aren't going to plan to invest, Um, And you have external workers that from the beginning are already working in that capacity. So they weren't internal first, built skills, and then left. Um, How are these external workers gaining those skills that they would need to be able to support these advanced technologies and to be able to um, do these types of technical jobs that now are going to be needed to Nicholas's point? So I think what Nicholas raised there around companies needing to Uh, have a longer view and see a long-term investment in workforce development to be able to meet that human machine need, I think we also need to look societally. So what are going to be the policies and the investments that would be made around workforce development, around um, external worker development? Because otherwise there isn't really mechanisms with these external workers to develop those skills. So I I would suggest that we need to approach organizations and be influencing their desire to invest in their workforce and then also view this much broader at a macro level of how are we going to build those capabilities in our workforce. Thank you, Autumn. Great point on that. And let's build it out a little further with Mark Shaw at SAP Fieldglass. Mark, join us, please. So this is a a really kind of hot topic down here uh, in Australia at the moment. And one of the so the the way that we're approaching the conversation with with government specifically down here because it, it affects policy as well 
is slightly different. Um, so there is a challenge in the statement of saying, oh, you know, there's, there's only a small percentage of, of executives looking at the workforce of the future. Because when you look at, you know, there's, there's much smarter people than me that have done some great research, you know, out of Singapore and out of California and around the globe. Um, technology is changing the way that we get work done at such a rapid pace that it is almost impossible to do a long-term workforce strategy. You know, by the time you've got it finished and the ink's dried, those skills are now irrelevant and out of date because there's some new technology that's come along. So the way we're rephrasing the conversation is not so much, hey, we need to focus on our, on our workforce strategy. Yes, you still need to have that. But it more comes down to, okay, the only way you're going to be able to keep going with the rapid pace of change is develop mm -hmm. a culture of change, develop a growth mindset. That's your workforce side. But then if you're looking at planning, what is your, what is your organization about? What are the outcomes that you need to get? And then how do you take the, the things that are happening in the market, whether it's AI, robotics, machine learning, whatever the new hip, cool technology is, how do you then integrate that into your outcomes and then dynamically inform your talent acquisition strategy, your external resourcing strategy in line with delivering that outcome? Because building a strategy or building a workforce plan purely predicated on people when we're changing skill sets so much is incredibly difficult. Thank you very much. Good roundtable on that one. Nicholas, in the interest of time, I'm going to move on to a topic from Dr. Autumn Krauss's list. Autumn, this is something we want to talk about, and this is something that I gave the disclaimer that we are not under any circumstances giving legal advice, but let's talk about the legal aspects. Autumn told me before the show the following, quote, employers are confused and concerned about laws and regulations regarding the use and treatment of external workers, which is causing employers to engage in practices could, that could potentially ostracize external workers and create a cultural rift between the permanent and the temporary workforce. Very interesting. Autumn, give us a background on this, please. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we started our research program. We actually, because we're psychologists, and um, this program is between Success Factors and Field Glass, as I mentioned in collaboration with Sherm. Uh, we started the program, and we're hoping almost to even put the legal issues aside. Like we're not experts in this space. This isn't something that we want to address through our research. Um, but as we started working with companies, interviewing executives, doing focus groups with uh, different stakeholders and businesses on this issue of external workforce. There's no way to disentangle the legal context from how companies are managing their external workforce. So much of the decisions that they're making about how they treat their external workers, and let me give some tangible examples. So mm -hmm. to what extent are they included in cultural activities? Um, to what extent are they afforded benefits of different types? Not, not particularly healthcare per se, it's a little bit clearer, but other types of benefits that might be offered uh, to their workers. Um, to what extent are they given access to different systems that would help them collaborate with their colleagues that are more permanent workers? 
all of those choices are being driven by uh, some level of risk aversion, which is a good choice, um, but actually pushed to the point employers have openly acknowledged that we're just trying to do the safest thing we can so that there isn't any legal confusion or concern about how, whether these workers are permanent or external. We're making choices to make it clear that they're external. And the implication of that is that we're not going to include them in things that um, on the surface look very trivial, but um, they're pointing to as evidence to show that they're not permanent workers. So we've talked to companies that have said, well, external workers aren't allowed to have food at company meetings. Um, so what? Permanent workers can eat when it's offered, but the external workers aren't allowed. Um, we Wait, had well, Autumn, seriously? Where, seriously? Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. How does that, how does that make people feel? Quite regularly. Well, this is, that, a, this is the issue is that you have Think about the stakeholders that are involved in setting those policies and direction. I mean, they have the best intention in mind, but their their decisions and their motives are around protecting the company. But then that necessarily doesn't have line of sight to how that's actually materializing and what that feels like, to your point, when you're actually in it uh, on site in a business um, as an external worker. So um, there was another example where a company mentioned that they were giving their external workers the opportunity to get flu shots because their external workers traveled quite regularly for their roles and it was something during flu season, they want to keep them healthy as part of their workforce. And another person in one of our focus groups um, said, well, did you talk to legal about that? You know, we're not allowed to do that in our company to offer them flu shots. So there's, there's just the amount of um, concern and ambiguity I really want to emphasize um, that's left companies basically swinging the pendulum pretty far to... Um, well, let's make it really clear they're not part of our workforce. And then that obviously is having follow-on implications for how they're feeling and likewise how they're performing. So um, I think we had to step into this part of the, the program, and we are consulting legal experts to help to dispel mm-hmm. some of the myths that companies might have on, on what really is the law around this and what is it okay for us to do. And the, the final thing I would say is that we did hear from some companies who said, you know, regardless of what the legal context is, it's worth the risk for us to be able to treat them more like permanent workers because we see the value and the benefits out of that. So every company is kind of approaching this from a different perspective. Thank you. It just seems it seems like a have and a have not situation, Autumn. It's like, well, you're one of the good people. We love you. And you're one of the, ah, we're not so sure if you really belong here. You can't eat. Seriously? I, I'm, mm. I'm absolutely flabbergasted. I'm sure a lot of our listeners are. Let's see what Mark Shaw has to say about this. Mark, join us, please. Yeah, so um, unfortunately, what what Dr. Krauss was saying is, is, is very common. Um, and there was, you know, a lot of landmark legal cases over the last 20 to 30 years that, that brought about the, the topic of co-employment risk, which is, you know, this perception that you're External workers are, you know, the same as your full-timers, so they should they get the same benefits. You know, Microsoft being kind of one of the biggest cases that people reference. Um, the the challenges that um, were mentioned, though, you know, some of the, the cultural issues within organizations and whatnot, when you kind of expand that out, there's there's a lot of attention at the moment here in in kind of Asia Pacific and more broadly um, looking at the Philippines currently where this topic has really reached a, a, a real boiling point. So they are have the same issues as everywhere else. You know, 
potential co-employment risk and how are full-timers treated versus contingent workers and do external workers have legal rights as pertaining to benefits and whatnot. Um, um, what they found over like, the last 20 years or so, and this is what they're trying to change, was that companies were, you know, disreputable companies, I'll put that disclaimer in, were skirting the letter of the law and following exactly what it was to make sure that they weren't taking on kind of any perceived notion that their con- contract workers were full-timers. So they were hiring them, then the mm-hmm. law said if they were over five months, you, you know, they're, they're starting to be five, uh, full-timers, they would fire them. And what this caused over time was the, the Philippines as a country, as an economy, um, and even culturally, they were finding that their communities were breaking down because they had large populations of non-permanent workers who would only ever be in a job for like five months at a time, then they'd be out of work, and then they'd be back in a job again. And the legislation that they were all going through was not such that people were wanting to move away from their families, so they were seeing kind of the economy in certain areas just tank. They're trying to address that now. They're taking like best practice research and saying, hey, if you want an external worker to come in, Yes, you, you still need to manage them um, distinctly differently than your full-timers, but it's more like, what are we bringing you in to do? Do you have an outcome that you're delivering, mm-hmm. whether it's a, a project or a function that is not core to the business, You know, whether it's part of a merger, an expansion, whatever it is, some non-permanent outcome that you are being brought in because you have the skills to do. You know, it's still very early days for this, but this is a country that's really trying to take control of this issue and say, right, let's remove the ambiguity around, hey, do we give them flu shots whilst they're traveling? Because that's you know, kind of splitting hairs on, do we like, treat each other as people or do we cover our, our backsides from a legal perspective? Mm-hmm. And saying, okay, this needs to be, at, be about your organization's uh, objectives if it's not core to that, it's like project-based work or seasonal-based work, and you can clearly define that, then that's a good enough measure for us to say, yes, you, you're, you're appropriately engaging the external workforce. And they're Thank trying you, to do this to solve cultural issues. Now, let's look at the clock. That's my job. It's 52 after. We have got less than five minutes till the end of the show. So I tell you what we're going to do. Change the format just a little bit. Nicholas Whittle, I'm going to give you 90 seconds to A, respond to what Autumn and Mark just talked about, and B, include, <laughs> include your prediction. Forgive me for that. Let's make <laughs> it two minutes even. We have to do a combo here because technically we're in the crystal ball predictions round of the show. So two minutes for you, Nicholas. You can use it for all prediction or for wrapping up on that topic. Autumn, you're going to get a straight 60 seconds after that for your prediction, Mark, and then we got to go. So, Nicholas Whittle, just two minutes. It's yours. Go ahead. So, so here's, here's my prediction. As we face into the future workforce, I think there is going to need to be a lot more multifunctional uh, nodes that come together to address some of mm-hmm. these challenges. Legal, procurement, HR, these can't be segregated into little siloed units that address parts of the workforce anymore. I spoke to 100 CHROs recently, and the vast majority of them raised their hand when asked, who do you believe owns the total workforce experience? And so I think as we think about this boundaryless workforce, this is going to have to start to play out in in organizations going forward. Uh, Second, I think organizations should probably take a step back and say, 
what are the rules we're going to look at, and let's try draft those and set those up uh, ahead. What are the pools of talent that we're really going to start looking at leveraging more innovative sources of, of talent for? And what are the tools and technology platforms that are going to help us connect this together? And I think as people think ahead, uh, increase and extend their perspective and expand their partnerships across siloed lines within the organization, I think they'll have a lot better shot at eating this elephant at the end of the day. Thank you. I like that you wrap that up very nicely. Autumn, I have 45 <laughs> seconds for you. Sorry, we're really tight here. Go ahead, Autumn, predict, please. No, no worries at all. So I, my, my, my uh, predictions are very aligned with Nicholas. Number one, I think the legal landscape is going to fundamentally change, particularly in the United States. Companies are going to demand more clarity and ease because external workforce is not going away and will become more critical, particularly in the tight labor market if that continues. So there will be changes that provide more clarity and support to make external workforce more viable. Um, and then the second thing related to our technology conversation is that we really will see more applications of machine learning and AI to more effectively manage the total workforce. So not just working alongside our workforce, but also helping to manage them in more effective and uh, consistent ways. Thank you very much. Mark Shaw, I say 45 seconds for you. Go ahead. Yeah, so prediction, that's a bit of a no-brainer. I do not see this conversation going anywhere, disappearing anytime soon. Um, to the other panelists' points, yes, the legal landscape, the procurement landscape, the HR landscape is going to be changing quite rapidly over the next five years. My biggest prediction, I don't actually think we're going to see the current corporate structure owning this problem in the future. I think people are going to have a bit of a light bulb moment and say, you know what, this is a unique beast. We need to set up the right processes, the right structures to tackle this properly, and it will be a completely new function that embodies all of these elements, legal, cultural, human resource management, worker performance, everything into new governing functions within the corporate world. Thank you very much. Can't thank the three of you enough. This is such an interesting topic. I know you'll agree, and I hope our listeners have gleaned some insights. If you're facing dealings with an external workforce, if you're thinking of bringing in outside, and that may be the key, that may be a bad word, Autumn. Do you agree? Outside workers, outside meaning not here, not us, that may be part of the problem. Maybe we need a new vocabulary. I think I'm going to invite these three experts back for a part three on this. It's a very big topic. It'll have to be in 2019. We're already... We've already booked through the end of the year here on Coffee Break. So thank you to Nicholas Whittall, Dr. Autumn Krauss, Mark Shaw, and let's do our call to action. I'm looking at the clock, 30 seconds, and we can do this. And thank you also to Courtney Hasselback at SAP for bringing this topic to us a couple months ago and introducing me to Nicholas and Autumn and Jim Brosny at Field Glass. So here we go. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Nicholas Whittall at Accenture, just like Dr. Autumn Krauss at SAP. Success Factors, and just like our new panelist, you're already a member of the family, Mark Shaw at SAP Field Glass. I'll be back at 2 p.m. Eastern today with another episode of, oh my goodness, Changing the Game with HR. How about that? Have a good couple of hours. See you then. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign SAPRADIO. 
Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week. We'll be right back. 